0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. It's great to be here to worship Jesus with you today, and all dads are welcome, even if you're not an epic win dad. If you're epic fail dad, you're still welcome here today. There are no perfect dads in this room. Let's just get that right out front. So, but we're all here to worship uh, God together, our perfect father in heaven. So it's great to be with you. So we are starting a series today. Um, about uh, David and about the Psalms that he wrote. So we're calling this After His Heart, At the Life and Psalms of David. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, or you can swipe there on an app. That would be good. So again, what we're going to see as we look at the life of David is that he was known as a man after God's own heart, that when God looked at who he was going to choose to be the king of Israel, what he noticed was David's heart. So it's just like this morning when he looks at us, he's not necessarily overly concerned with what we look like or our clothes or what we're wearing, but God can see into our heart. And when when God looked at the heart of David, he liked what he saw. And so over the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about David's courageous heart. Next week, we're going to see David in an epic fail. All right, we can relate to that. We can see David's repentant heart. And then in a couple weeks, we're going to see David's compassionate heart. We're going to see an amazing expression of compassion and mercy that David had. And then after that, different pastors for a few weeks will, will share just different psalms from the song book, the worship book that David used and expressed his heart to God. So I'm excited for this because my goal, my hope, is that at the end of this series that we as a people and that we as a church would in a sense have had a spiritual EKG and kind of see where our hearts are before God, and so again, that's the most important thing of us. When God looks at us, He's going to look at our hearts. And so, uh, so today we're looking at the famous story of David and Goliath. All right, one of the probably most popular Bible stories. In fact, in the world of sports, a lot of times you'll hear the David and Goliath story, meaning the very small team that beats the big team. And so, I googled like what are the historic in this realm of sports the greatest David and Goliath stories. So. The 1969 Jets beating the Colts is one. I don't know how many of you were around for that or remember that. Or the Miracle on Ice in 1980 when a bunch of amateur Americans beat a highly skilled professional Russian team and won the gold medal. Okay? Uh, Buster, Buster Douglas upsetting Mike Tyson. The best thing of that fight is Buster Douglas left with both ears intact. That was That was cool. So there was that one. We like this one in Iowa City. Michigan once got beat by Appalachian State, a very small school beat Michigan. We like that here when Michigan goes down. So there was that one. And then even this spring when UMBC the retrievers the lowest seed in the NCAA tournament beat the 1 seed Virginia and so that's in there I got some you and I people saying what about when we beat Kansas you can put that in there too you and I people so but really what we're here to do is just that what we just celebrate in the realm of sports you see throughout the scriptures that God loves to see when the small defeats the great. When on a worldly scale, when those that are overlooked and small and insig- insignificant rise up and defeat those that are great. We, we see that throughout scripture. We're going to uh, look at that theme uh, throughout scripture today and apply it to our own, our own lives, okay? And the battles and the challenges and the giants that we face in our lives. So let me pray and we'll jump in. So Uh, Father, it's great to be here in your presence today. Thank you for the dads here. Thank you uh, for my dad who's watching on live stream today. It's his birthday and Father's Day, a birthday that ends in a zero. So thank you for him and his legacy in my life. Um, Thank you, uh, Father in heaven, that you are, are the ultimate dad in this room, and that you're here for all of us to cry out to, and that you will be perfect in your response with love and compassion to us. So so we worship you today and ask you to teach us from your word today. So it's in your great name we pray. Amen. All right, so first, if you go to First Samuel 17, we're going to start in verse 4. And we're going to see that the people of Israel, God's people, had a giant problem, okay? So just a little backdrop here. Uh, God's people have been led into their promised land, and God promised them this land. And they they are there now, but a constant enemy that they had throughout just many years while they were in the promised land are the people known as the Philistines. And the Philistines uh, in this time period had an advanced technology. They had better weapons. They had iron weapons. Some people think that Israel was basically fighting with wooden weapons. So there was already a little bit of a disadvantage. But now the Philistines in this season had a champion warrior named Goliath. So we start in verse 4. And it says, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a half, or I'm sorry, six cubits and a span. So that'd be about nine foot six in today's measurement, all right? So he had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That'd be about 125 pounds. And he had bronze armor on his legs and he had a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron, think 20 or 25 pounds, something like that, Uh and his shield bearer went before him, and so he had actually somebody who was also with him carrying, and the word for shield here meant a very tall, like a body height shield, so this guy was well, he he was stacked with all this stuff that he had, okay, so uh, verse 8, and so Goliath he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? And so he issued a great challenge to God's people. And he said, you send out one warrior to represent the Israelites and I will represent the Philistines and whoever wins this battle will win the day for their people. And you look at verse 11. It says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. Okay, so we pause here and we just see clearly that Israel had a giant problem. All right? So here is Goliath taunting God's people. Uh, WWF has nothing on the trash talk that's going on here from Goliath to God's people. We're told that this went on for 40 days. So day after day, morning and evening, uh, he kept taunting God's people, and it says God's people were uh, greatly dismayed and in great fear. So if we can just pause for a second and just make some observations about what the giants in our lives do to us. Okay, first, it is very clear that the giants in our lives cause great fear. Saul in Israel had said every time when they would line up. For battle, 40 straight days, that every time they would hear these taunts from Goliath, they would just take off. They would just run. I can imagine that Saul, the king, was probably leading the charge, okay? So, so for 40 days, these guys had great fear. In fact, I think there was such detailed description of of Goliath's size and his armor because these guys were very well acquainted with how strong their enemy was. They could rehearse it. They could tell you the details. They could tell you how big he was. They could tell you about his helmet. Like they knew all the details about how great Goliath was because they, they just were deeply entrenched in fear. The second thing is that a, that a giant never goes away. He was relentless in his pursuit of God's people. In fact, day and night morning and evening would have been the prime times for prayer for God's people. So imagine maybe a giant in our lives is even when you're trying to pray about it, you just keep hearing the tauntings and you keep feeling the chills of fear. You just can't even talk to God because this giant in your life is interfering with these thoughts of fear. And then finally, uh, a giant in our lives can just crush our hope. The the Hebrew words where it said that God's people were dismayed and greatly afraid just literally means they were crushed, and they were broken. That that Goliath's relentless taunts, that the size of this giant just caused great fear. Uh, he wouldn't go away, and he crushed their hopes. So before we go on this morning, it's just good to look in our lives and say, do we have a giant problem in our lives? Like, what, what would you say are the giants? Is there anything? That's approaching you. I doubt anybody has a nine foot six neighbor, like taunting you every day. So not literal giant, right? But what are the things in your life that do the same things to your heart? That they they rob your joy, that they cause great fear, that they crush your hopes. What are those? And sometimes I can categorize them in categories that start with F, like uh, a lot of times, our giants can be family-related. That, that maybe there's uh, one of our children that that is kind of walking away from us, or walking away from God, or a family member you love. And so, uh, family issues. You've been hurt by someone in your family. There's tension in your family. Sometimes a giant can be something in our families that just does not change. It does not go away. So you think about family. I think about our futures. I know some of us are facing big moves. Uh, there's some uncertainty and some careers in this room. Like those kind of things, something about our, our future can cause us to be afraid and uncertain. And so you got family. you got, you got your future. Um, what about finances? Like just, will we be financially secure in five years or ten years? And, and so if we could put a fourth one, I know it doesn't start with an F, but let's put our physical needs, okay? At least it's a f, Okay, so like our bodies or our health, it just seems like for me, if there are giants in my life, usually they can come in and out of those four general categories. And so there's actually a blessing that comes our way when we face a giant. Because when you face a giant like this, uh, the giant just doesn't go away. Like you can't just ignore it for a couple of days and it just fades. Like a, a legitimate giant is going to be there. And so one of the kind of a strange blessing that happens to us is that when you face a giant, your heart is opened up. You get to see inside your heart. And so when the Bible talks about the human heart, when I said earlier that God doesn't really look at our outsides, but he's looking at our heart, the heart is the real you, your ambitions, your hopes, your drives, like what's most important to you. And so a giant can expose our hearts. And you're going to see one of two things. You're either going to see fear or you're going to see faith. And so when you look at the Israelites' hearts at this time, you look at King Saul's heart at this time, you see fear. But let's enter somebody who is going to face this giant in a completely different way. And that's going to be David. Okay, so enter David into our story. And so at this time, David was a very young man, most likely in his teens. And he's the youngest of the sons in his family. But what's really interesting is at this time in the book of 1 Samuel, David has already been anointed the king of Israel. And so you've got to explain this a little bit because currently his job is he's a shepherd but now he's going to be a king. It's, running, it's like running into somebody stocking groceries like a teenager at Hy-Vee, and he goes, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm the president. You'll go, yeah, yeah right. So, but that's kind of David's scenario here. He's a shepherd, uh, but he's already been anointed king. And so you back up a few sections from this big story of God and his people. There was a time where God's people looked up at God and said, hey, God, we want a king. Just like all the nations we see around us have kings, we want a king. And so that was the ultimate slap in the face to God. Like, I think God's sitting there going, "Uh, so what do you call me? Like, none of the other nations have me. They do have kings, but they don't have me. I just got you out of Egypt. I got you out of slavery. You crossed the Red Sea. You crossed the Jordan River. You're in a promised land. I've been walking with you, and now you want a king. So God went with their plan. He relented, and so he said, okay, you guys pick a king. And they picked this guy named Saul. And the reason they picked Saul was that it says he was head and shoulders above everybody else. Like he looked like a king on the outside. So they picked this guy named Saul. The problem with Saul was that you couldn't count on him in a tight situation. And so this is one of those examples. When Goliath is taunting, Saul is turning and running. He's probably leading the charge. And so the biggest problem with Saul was that he did not have a real heart for God. He did not really have a heart to obey God, and so when God looked at Saul, he saw maybe an impressive body, but he saw a weak heart. God's people went the other way around. They went with the big body and didn't see the heart, and so God was done with Saul, and God said, I want to find a king who is after my own heart. So he sent his prophet Samuel to a home of a man named Jesse, and he said the next king is going to be one of Jesse's sons, So Samuel, this prophet, went and he interviewed all of Jesse's sons. And man, there were some pretty striking, outwardly striking men there in that house. He's like, oh, this would be a great king. This would be a great king. God said, nope, 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 and nope. And so, okay, well, who's going to be the king? You got another son? Oh, yeah, our little little boy's out watching sheep. We'll bring him in. And God right there picked David. so that's when David was anointed to be the king. And the key verse there is 1 Samuel 16, 7 where God told Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. This is the reason God chose David, was because of his heart. So now we fast forward back now into our story. And so David is still, even though he's anointed king, uh, he's still watching the sheep, all right? And so his father says, I want you to take food to your brothers. His three older brothers were serving in the army. And so you just get the the idea that David was pumped to do this. He got up early, he took the food, he ran to where his brothers were. Apparently there was like a storage area where he laid the food, but then he just went out and it was one of those times where the armies were lining up. Philistine army, Israelite army. And he just caught one of those daily routines between Goliath and God's people. And so when he heard that, the taunting, the challenge... Look at verse 26. This is what David said. It said that David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Like this little guy, this junior high kid is like stunned at the language he's hearing from the other side, the way God is being defiled. I think he's stunned at the way God's people are turning and running. And he's just shocked. Who is this Goliath? Who does he think he is uh, to defy the armies of God? That's not right. And so that tone, that language was so unique on the Israelite side that, that one boy talking like that made the news of that, made it all the way to the king. Right? So everybody else was like, he's so big, we can't beat him. And for once to say, who is this giant? What do you get if you take him out? I'm ready to take him out. And so that strange voice made its way all the way to the king. And then Saul met with David. In verse 33, uh, David said, hey, I'm going to take Goliath out. Just let me go. Let me be the one to represent Israel because I can take him out. Verse 33, Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. And then David rolled out a few stories that when he was watching his dad's sheep one time, he killed a bear who was trying to get the sheep. And one time he killed a lion. He said, just like God, help me kill a lion and a bear. I'm gonna kill this giant. And so again, the courage and the confidence was such a unique language among God's people that it just totally turned Saul's head. And so finally, David said, in this uncircumcised Philistine, will be like one of them, the lion and bear, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Guys, that last little bit is one of the most weak and passive like, points of leadership. Like, here's, here's a king that really this is his job. He was chosen to go and represent Israel in front of Goliath. But here he is sending out this little junior high guy, you know, and saying, God be with you. Like, and as he's saying that, I'm sure his voice is quivering. His knees are knocking. Like, Saul, a very weak leader, sending now this child to go who is the only one in all of Israel who had faith in God. All right? And so... So there goes David, and he's going out with this little king's blessing. God be with you. I'm sure he's going, yeah, right. What do you know? And so, so he's heading out, and even one more moment there, as he's going, Saul goes, wait a minute. You're going to need some armor here. Why don't you wear mine? And it didn't fit. It was awkward and all of that. So David said, you know what? I'm just going to roll, like I roll with the sheep, like the way I got the bear and the lion. So he just goes out there with a sling, and as he's going, by a brook in the valley of Elah, he picks up five smooth stones, okay, so now it's battle on, verse 41. And again, WWF has nothing on this smack talk you see in the Old Testament. Get ready for a bunch of smack talk. Verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of them. This is actually two on one, but it's another point. Verse 42. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. They really don't understand what ruddy means. Some people think it just means red. Like either he was sunburned or red hair. I don't know what. So uh, handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the, of the, fe- and the birds of the fe- beasts, sorry, beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. into our hand. Guys, that is awesome. Like, so you can even just imagine this, the, the, we got to imagine the voices behind this. So like when Goliath's talking, you expect a strong and deep voice, but this David voice would be kind of, again, a younger, a middle, you know, a middle teen voice coming out. Maybe not the strongest voice, but you hear the content is relentless in its strength in faith in God. And so so this is like a big boxing match. Sometimes they call it the tail of the tape where they lay like the dimensions of one fighter to the other. Here's our tail of the tape of this fight, all right? So you got Goliath who's nine foot six and he's strong versus this small, ruddy, reddish, handsome guy, maybe like a boy band guy against this big like Defensive tackle. Okay, so that's what you got going there, and because he's handsome or whatever that means. So then the weapons you got: armor, helmet, spear, shield, versus a little slingshot and five rocks from a stream. And then you got occupation. Like one has been a warrior, a killing machine since he was young. The other guy is a shepherd and works part time with Ivy Isles Delivery Food Truck, like whatever. That's all you got. Like there's the tail of the tape. And you go, man, this is going to be a quick fight. Like this is this. This is not going to be pretty. Like, I don't know why I even bought this ticket. Why am I watching this pay-per-view? Like, this is five seconds and done. So, so that's what's going on. So verse 48 says, When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, and he took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. Guys, that was the ultimate perfect shot. Like, so, guys, seriously, like, if you think through your life, like, what is your ultimate perfect shot? Like, just what's the best throw, shot, golf, drive, whatever in your life? Just imagine that. I, the one that came to mind for me was when I was, like, a freshman or sophomore at a small, kind of a 1A school up near Ames, Uh, a game was over and my friend and I were waiting for a ride home and a couple of seniors, for whatever reason, I'd never seen them do this before, it was a winter night pulled up two pickup trucks that the backs were just loaded with snowballs and so when my friend and I were trying to get out of the locker room area to go get picked up, we would just get pummeled with snowballs. And they're all yelling at us and they're taunting. And so, like, what are we going to do? We're pinned and all this. So every time we just crack that door open, all these snowballs come flying. So finally, my friend's brother comes between the trucks, slides his car, like opens up the door. Come on, quick, get in. So we're running under just a hail of snowballs. And as I'm running out, I just feel in my pocket an apple and i think that apple had been there from maybe the weekend before when i was hunting with my dad so a little bit soft but definitely still throwable right and so I look up and one of the backs of the pickup is this guy named Randy. He was the smallest of this senior posse, but the loudest and mouthiest. And I still picture him like, yeah, no good. You know, just doing that. I was like, I just couldn't resist. So like with all I had, I just took that apple and chucked it. and It's one of the best shots of my life because I just saw it go square and it just nailed the dude in the forehead. And just apples splattered everywhere to see him go. Oh! It just redeemed the whole time for me, right? So, that's my one of my best shots, right? But David's shot was way better than that, right? Because some scholars have looked at this. In fact, it's there's an episode on the History Channel where they said could this really have happened like could a rock really kill a nine foot giant and there's some things that came out in the research one is like if you looked at Goliath and considered that very tall shield in front of him if you considered the helmet covering part of his head like one one researcher said you had about a five square inch area that would have even been accessible for this throw okay so it's a perfect shot and then other people asked well could this have actually killed a man and so again, on this History Channel uh, kind of project they did, they brought in the champion slinger, the world champion slinger. His name is Louis Pons Livermore. And so, again, a slinger champion. And so they had him, I think you'll see a video of him, they had him throw rocks at a nine-foot-tall object. And they found out that, that what would be required to, to actually kill a man would be a 3,000-newton force spread over a 30-square-millimeter area. And if that is exactly what happened, you'd have plenty of force to take out a, a human brain. And so, in fact, here, um, Jeff dropped this off in my office This morning, uh, this is an actual rock from the Valley of Elah. So this is like a, from the stream, like the one of the, kind of the size of the five smooth stones that that David would have used. Like this is pretty heavy. Like this would do some damage, right? And so um, it's legit. Again, once again, the Bible just proves that, yeah, what it says can actually happen. And so um, just a huge moment to see God use that. And so um, what's really cool to think about is how God prepared David for that big moment. Okay. So remember that he had already been anointed king, but even though he's anointed king, just think of the days and the weeks and the months that even though you're, you're anointed king, you're still watching sheep, right? And so what's a teenage guy do if you're just sitting out there watching sheep? Don't you think you've got your sling And don't you think you're just taking target practice? Like, hey, that little notch on the tree over there, I'm gonna hit it, or maybe that butterfly way over there, I'm gonna, like there was a lot of hours I would imagine just slinging rocks so that he would be ready for this big moment. I love the way Psalm 78 talks about God choosing David. Uh, It says this, Psalm 78, he chose David his servant, and he took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people in Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them, and he guided them with skillful hand. So maybe we can relate to that in some ways. Maybe you find yourself in a season in your life where you're in obscurity, or just, what am I doing? Does it really matter right now that even in those moments in your life, God can be honing you? And so not only was God preparing David Physically to be able to hit the perfect shot with a sling, but more importantly, God was growing David's heart. As you read through, again, the Psalms, we read through his life that God was growing David to be the king that God's people needed. And again, in 1 Samuel thirteen fourteen, when God said, I need a new king besides Saul, he says, I'm going to search for a man who is after my own heart. I want a man who loves me. And so it is so clear that David loved God. And you can see that in three ways just in our story. is number one, David loved God's word. We're going to look at some psalms. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 119, where David just talks about the whole psalm is about his love for God's word. He says, God, I love your law. And there's times where he's going to say God's word is as precious as jewels, as treasure, as gold. So for David, when God spoke, those words were meaningful, they were powerful, and he gripped onto those words. I imagine David would have heard promises like the one in Joshua 23, where God says, the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations, but as for you, no one is able to stand against you to this day. One man of you will chase 1,000, For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. That's what ticked David off so much when he heard Goliath talking trash. He said, that's not true because I have heard the truth. I have heard the word of God and we do not need to fear this giant because God will fight our battles for us. And so a heart for God is really reflected in our heart for his word. And so again, this morning, if we were to do a heart check, for ourselves, how would we say we are this morning at just longing for, craving, and enjoying and doing the word of God? But David is, is showing us that in very powerful ways. Okay, the second thing you see David do just in this quick story with David and Goliath is that he was a man who remembered God's faithfulness. Remember, how do you know you can take out Goliath? Well, God helped me be a bear. God helped me be a lion. He quickly rehearsed what God had done for him in the past. And so it's really interesting if you continue with the story that after uh, Goliath fell and David killed him, David took Saul's or took Goliath's armor and put it in, it says, in his tent. And so you say, why did he do that? So I think think there was a little collection in in David's living quarters. I think you might have seen a lion paw there. You might have seen a bear paw there. And now you saw Goliath's armor there. I think what David was doing was collecting visible reminders to himself of how great his God is and what his God has done for him in the past. And I would say for us to handle the giants that are going to come inevitably into our lives, we have to be ready and we have to be quick to be able to look back in our lives and say, yeah, this looks hard right now, but remember God. Remember when God did this. Remember when God came through and did this. I try to do that in, in a couple of different ways. I keep a journal, and I don't, I'm not the ultimate journaler who writes every day. I'm not the kind of journaler that when I die, people are going to collect these and turn them into great books. Like, that's not the way I journal. But I do like to remind myself on a regular basis of who God has been in my past so that I'm ready to face the challenges in my future. And I wonder what, what you do to be mindful of how God has been faithful to you in the past. And the last thing I really see from David's heart here is that he proclaimed the greatness of God. Like what what offended him the most was that God's greatness was being challenged and was being questioned. And he would have nothing to do with that. If you listen to David's battle cries, he's not like, yeah, look at these guns. Or yeah, I'm really good with the sling. You better shut up. Like his only claim, his only plea was that his God was almighty. That his God is great. You listen to the things that he said. The world will know there is a God in Israel. And not only the world, but my own people will remember that we have a God living in our midst. Like he was so convinced, driven by the power of God, not his own power. In fact, I think if there was one reason, as God is looking for the heart of a leader... He's not going to look for somebody who's confused. Who's great here, God or the king? Like, David had, when that question was posed, David knew immediately, God is the one who's great, not me. So that kind of of man, that kind of leader, is the person God gladly entrusts the keys to his kingdom. Yeah, you lead, because you know you're not great, I am. And so David was driven by the greatness of God. And so... I just wonder what you do when you face the giants, like what do you do to remind yourself of the greatness of your God, that if you stack God versus your giant, that there is no contest. Like that just sucks fear out of your life when you realize that God is way greater than your giant will ever be, and so David just reflects that for us, and let me just say before we move off David here is that there are some giants you might be facing this morning that really could be a one and done thing. Like, let's say there's a tension in a relationship and it's really on you to be maybe the one to take the first step, like to seek forgiveness or to seek restoration. I mean, there are certain giants that maybe could be felled with one act, like uh, you've just been holding back, you've been fearful and really all you gotta do is do something, right? So some of our giants are like that. Can we also acknowledge that some of our giants aren't going to go away. Like if it was as simple as one act and it's gone, we would gladly do that. But there are some things out of your control. But realize that David understands that as well. 20 years of being proclaimed king before he actually became king. But it's whatever kind of giant, whatever response to a giant you need to take today, just realize you're going to need the same three things that David had, a love for God's word, remembering God's faithfulness, and proclaiming God's greatness. Sometimes that even means preaching to our souls about how great God is, all right? So here's, if you're asleep, you've got to wake up, because the point of the whole morning is that we ask ourselves, well, what's the takeaway from the story of David and Goliath? Is it the bigger they are, the harder they fall? You know, is it those kind of little pithy statements? And I would say no, that the story of David and Goliath actually points us to a far greater story that has been going on for Uh, from eternity past to eternity future. 2 Timothy 3 says that the Old Testament scripture, 2 Timothy is a New Testament book, it says the advantage of the value of the Old Testament is that it points us to a story that God has been doing, that, that the Old Testament makes us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament stories point us to an ultimate hero, and that's Jesus. So we don't leave today saying, wow, David was amazing. We leave today saying David is a picture of a greater David. And that greater David is, is Jesus. Because if you look through the, the rest of David's life, there's, there's times where God makes a covenant with David. and says, David, you will be king over an everlasting kingdom. But then David died. It's so like, how's that king kingdom going to last forever? Uh, David knew and God promised that there would be a descendant who would take the throne, who would be the ultimate <laughs> king, and that is Jesus. And so, uh, David is a picture of the greater king. Uh, David is a picture of a greater champion that we can all claim, okay? So, so if you look at the story of David and Goliath and you ask, who are we in that story? Uh, hopefully we're not Goliath, right? But sometimes when might think, oh, we're gonna be David, like we're gonna go out and kill our giants. No, I would say the characters in the story, we are the people of Israel, that we line up for battle, that there's a giant on the other side who's way bigger than us, who's armed to the hilt, uh, who can totally wipe us out, that we are hopeless except for that God has sent us the ultimate deliverer. And just like David fought and won victory for all of God's people, Jesus Christ has done the same thing for us. He fought our greatest battle against sin and death and he won that victory. And now as followers of Jesus, we experience the joy of that victory. Like we walk now in Christ's victory. Through sin, we're not separated from God anymore. We can call God our Father. Because Jesus defeated sin and death. He took out sin so that we can worship God and call God Father. And so First uh, Peter 3.18 says that Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God there's our one big battle that we need to cling to today. It's not that David knocked out Goliath. It's that Jesus knocked out sin. And just like David's victory, one victory for all of God's people, Jesus knocking out sin and death is available for all of us. You put your faith in Christ, and then you experience the the thrill of his victory. You are set free from sin. And then beyond that, you look at now that we can live our lives in the power of Christ. We can live in the identity of Christ, that we are his people. So Romans eight thirty one says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's a promise you take against every giant in your life. And you take verse 37 in Romans 8 that says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, that Jesus and his love died for you, Not so that when you face your giants, it's not going to be you're just going to barely survive, but you're going to be more than a conqueror. You're going to defeat these giants that come your way, not on your own power, but fighting with the weapons that Jesus gives you, his spirit, uh, his word, his promises, and his presence in your life. And so may we be a church that when, when the hard things come or the challenges come, may we be a people that when uh, the, the, the hard things in our life come upon us and our hearts are exposed, that we don't see a bunch of fear, but we see a people who are strong, who are filled with faith, not in their own abilities, but in the one who has won the victories for us. And that's Jesus Christ. So let's pray as we wrap up here. So Father, I pray today that we would be a people who leave today not again just enamored with David and there's some cool things to his story but I pray bottom line we'd be a people who leave today just realizing Jesus what you have done for us that you have dropped our greatest giant and that is our sin and our death our separation from our heavenly father that that Jesus you took that out for us so that now we can be a people who know God and know that God is for us, and that we can be more than conquerors through whatever we face. If it's family stuff, or future stuff, or financial stuff, or physical stuff, you have empowered us to be victorious. Jesus, I pray that if this is new to anybody here today, I just pray this would be the day that, that God, some people in this room stop trying to fight the giants on their own, but they just like David, just cry out to you that that our hearts would be fully dependent on you, not ourselves. God, maybe this is the day that you set a dad free from guilt or shame about ways he's dropped the ball as a dad or just tired of trying to be a good dad on his own strength, that this would be a day, God, that you just open up the eyes of a dad to say, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Stop trying to do this on your own. just, just, Give him your life and your heart. And God, just knowing the power of a dad, the way you could just change a family, the way you could just change so many lives by even just one man today giving his heart to you. So God, do a work in our midst. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.